was uh, about a year ago, last summer actually, that I was lucky enough to go to something called the Wild Goose Festival. Now, the Wild Goose Festival actually has nothing to do with geese at all. Uh, it's a gathering that happens uh, every year at a small campground in North Carolina. And over a thousand people come in to hear about a uh, hundred or a little over a hundred different Christian speakers, different Christian writers, theologians, artists, and musicians who all gather at this place for one weekend. And it's an entire gathering of people telling stories and talking about the books they're writing, about doing the music that they do. It's a whole gathering there together. And everyone kind of lives for this one weekend, all thousand plus of us, in this little community. This group of people who are all gathered together just to learn and experience and see all that we can see uh, in regards to Christian art and music and storytelling. It was a really, really amazing experience. But throughout that entire weekend, although I heard tons of different speakers and musicians and all of these amazing things, there's one story I heard that really sticks out to me. It was a story told by this writer named Shane Claiborne. And Shane describes how in 2003, he and two friends decided that they wanted to go to Iraq. They went to Iraq in 2003 at the height of kind of American rhetoric about building up and going in to the war in Iraq. But they didn't go uh, with any military. They absolutely refused to go with any kind of armed guards or any weapons whatsoever. They wanted to go into Iraq, into an ordinary village, and see what would happen if they, as ordinary unarmed citizens, were talking with ordinary Iraqis. What kind of connections could be made? What kind of similarities would they find? What they wanted to do was to see if ordinary people could live for just a little bit in some kind of harmony, even while their governments were trying to rip each other apart. And so he tells this story about going into Iraq, about all the difficulty of getting through the American checkpoints, about how everyone told him he was crazy, and about all of the ridiculous things they had to do just to get into the country. But then he tells a story about how his Iraqi guide and the taxi driver and all three of the Americans were there traveling down a desert road in a taxi, going to their next destination to a small town in the middle of Iraq. They were about four hours outside of Baghdad on this deserted road when all of a sudden they hit what they think was a small piece of an unexploded uh, IED, an improvised bomb. It was a really small one, but it was enough to blow out their tire and to send them careening off of the road. They slid off of the road and their car rolled two or three times. And while the two men in the front, the Iraqi guide and taxi driver, got out with only minor bruises and cuts. The three Americans in the back had what they described as serious but not life-threatening injuries, some broken bones, and at least one of them was unable to walk. So I'm watching Shane up in front of me describe to me and this crowd of people what it's like to be in the middle of nowhere in Iraq, and all of a sudden they're in need of medical attention. They are incredibly vulnerable and he said that despite of everything that had happened before, it was the first time he really feared for his life because he had no idea what would happen next. 
As it turns out, after about five minutes of kind of composing themselves on the side of this road, trying to figure out what to do, a pickup truck comes by, and it stops, and a couple of men get out, and they assess the situation, and they find these three Americans kind of beat up and broken arms and a broken leg, and they put them in the back of the pickup truck and take them to a small town a few minutes away called Rutba. Now, Rutba isn't known for much, but Shane describes how he'd heard the name of that town before. It was one of the towns that the U.S. State Department said they were absolutely forbidden to go in. It was described as a small, gritty place where anti-American sentiment was going rampant, where the fighters on the Iraqi side who were opposing the American forces would hang out. It was a safe haven for them. And they were taken into Rutba to get medical treatment. They were taken into that town, and it gets worse, because they couldn't even go to the hospital in Rutba. Because as it turns out, the hospital was bombed by the shock and awe campaign just three days earlier. They were taken to a small school where the makeshift hospital had been set up. And they were there in that hospital for three days as they were being cared for. And while they tried time and time again to say, you know, we're just going to leave, we're going to be fine, you've got us bandaged up, we're just going to go... It was insistent by the doctors and nurses to Shane and the other Americans that your only job here is to rest and get better. And during those three days, they'd hear murmurs about how people in the surrounding villages had heard about the Americans that were in Rutba, and there were talks of trying to capture them, to use them as leverage. But then the people of Rutba wouldn't allow that. The people who had brought them there, their guides, the people in that village protected them and kept them safe for those three days. In fact, when they were finally well enough to travel with some ease, the people of Rutba escorted these Americans to the American checkpoint, literally risking their lives. As they were parting ways, Shane tried to offer any kind of compensation he possibly could but they wouldn't accept anything. He talks about this amazing experience of being literally his life saved by people who were supposed to be killing him and being unable to offer anything at all in payment except for a thank you. It was an amazing and powerful story that I heard, and it clearly stirred him emotionally. It changed his life. It's an amazing story, and it's the very same story that I read up here just a minute ago. This is the story of the Good Samaritan, of the one who helped another even though everything about society said that that was the last thing they were supposed to do. Jesus tells this story of the Good Samaritan for many reasons. First of all, it's an incredibly powerful story to hear, to hear told in your own modern language, to hear even when we know how difficult it can be for different groups of people to get along, to get together, and how different that story could have come out. But Jesus tells this story for another reason, too. Jesus tells this story because in the crowd of people that he was talking to, this man stood up and he asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? This story that Jesus tells gives us that answer of where eternal life comes from. 
But it's really, it's one of my favorite stories because it tells us so much about who Jesus is and about how Jesus sees himself and sees his ministry in the world. You see, Jesus was preaching and teaching and walking around in a time when it was thought that God dwelled in the heavens and then came down to earth through the temple. The reason the priest and the Levite in the story passed on the other side was because they were trying to stay as pure and clean as possible. They couldn't be associated with someone who was beaten or naked or dead because in that time, to be close to God meant to be close to perfection. It meant to be close to being holy and clean. And all of the people and part of this religious institution, they were looking for the same sorts of things that Jesus was bringing into the world. They were looking for God to come into the world as a Messiah. But they were looking for God to come down from on high, in through the temple, through all of the people who were clean and good and righteous, to work through those people and then finally spread out and trickle down to the whole world. What made Jesus so radical is that when he came into the world, he showed that God isn't just some God that stays in the temple and in the people who are holy and clean. Jesus showed everyone that God comes into the world and God eats with sinners and tax collectors, that God sits down with prostitutes and with adulterers. Jesus showed the world that God goes to every single place we thought God could never be. And that's what this story is about. This story of the Good Samaritan shows how God can come into the world in the places we least expect. That God can show up when a Samaritan and a Jew get together and in spite of fighting and bickering, one helps another. Jesus shows us that God can be present in the world even as countries are fighting and waging war, even as people from the Middle East and from the West are fighting and bickering about ways of life. In the midst of that, God works in those places we least expect. As this man was sitting in that crowd asking Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him this. He says, live your life, but look for God in all of those places you think God could never be. Look for God when you are vulnerable. Look for God when you are sick. Look for God when you have no one to help you except your enemies. Look for God when you see people that you think God could never work through. Because those are the places that God is coming into the world first. It's in those places that God is breaking into the world and revealing to all of us what God is doing. Revealing to us God's future, this kingdom of God. As Jesus says to that man, as Jesus says to us today, these are the places, these places in our lives that are dark and scary, these places where we're vulnerable, these places where we're looking at another person and trying to figure out if we can even be compatible at all. These places where we struggle and doubt, these places that challenge us, those are the places where we need to look for God the most. Because in those places, in those moments, and with those people, maybe, just maybe, we can catch a glimpse of something truly amazing.
We can catch a glimpse of God at work in our lives, in our hearts, in this world, showing us this thing called eternal life. What I don't think is completely obvious in this story, but comes across in this amazing thing we call the Good Samaritan, is that for Jesus, eternal life isn't something that happens after you die. It's not something that happens many years from now in a place far away. For Jesus, eternal life is something that happens right now. It's something that happened to that man who was beaten in the moment that the Samaritan picked him up and put him on his animal, in the moments that he was being cared for. Those are the moments when eternal life begins. It's not something that happens after we die. It's something that happens right now. And so today I hear Jesus calling to all of us to go out and live our lives, but to look for God in all of those places we think God could never be. It's in those moments and in those places where we're challenged and when we're struggling that God shows himself to us that God shows that God is not one who just sits on a throne enthroned in splendor, but that God is just as comfortable sitting in the dirt, sitting in the dark and dirty parts of our lives. God shows us what's the future for our lives. And God shows us those things through those dark and scary parts. But it's in those moments that we get that question answered for ourselves. What do we have to do to inherit eternal life? And the answer is nothing. Simply look around and see God at work in all of those places we thought God could never be. Because it's in those places that we see eternal life. Eternal life that doesn't begin on some hill far away, but right here and right now as we serve one another. Amen.